0: Coming Back by Stan Washington While taking the exit from the interstate, a vision of a boy suddenly falling through the air, flashed by the windshield. Knowing who it was, I quickly pulled over and stopped. My hands are sweating and shaking with all the feelings that had been tightly tucked away. The vision fades and the anxiety ebbs a little, all the while I'm pushing the memory away. shadows of that event spin inside my gut i continue my trip to my sister's new home in our childhood town the city limit looms ahead with familiar buildings streets and old neighborhoods rory's home was just past eisenhower elementary school in a new development on the west side of town as i pulled into her driveway she's outside working in a flower bed i cut the engine open the door and was immediately hammered by a large fur ball of a 100 pound Bernese mountain dog. Rory reaches out, hugs me at the same time she's holding the dog, and yelling, Mark, Eddie, come out, up. Uncle Fred's here. Two boys come bouncing out the front door, rushing to tackle me, one boy on each leg. Rory gets everyone organized and assigns each boy one of my bags to carry into the house. Rory and I sit drinking cold drinks, catching up on our lives. Rory looks at me with a questioning look. My latest love, Karen, broke up with me. Not that I blame her. Things have been strained lately. She wanted to take the relationship further than I felt comfortable with. She wanted kids, the house, and all that comes with the family. We are on hold, a little time off. Rory shakes her head. You need to get over, Joey. It's been 20 years since, well, you know. My silence is broken when the boys want to play catch out back. The boys and I finish with our game of catch and come in to clean up for supper. Roy and I work to make hamburgers and baked beans. Keith, Roy's husband, comes home and takes charge of the grill. The evening events are just like many other families. Conversation flowing around the kids laughter, eating, and getting the kids ready for bed. The late night was cool and smelled of charcoal and burnt meat. Roy and I are sitting outside, talking about old times. The old homestead's on the market. Would you like to visit our past ghosts, she asked. I come up short with a period of silence. Roy pokes me. You go to sleep on me? The vision once again seems to jump up out of thin air, making me shake my head to clear it. I tell her, I think I would like to see it. Let's call the realtor tomorrow to see when they can show us our old home. The next morning was beautiful and sunny. Rory gets the boys ready for school. We pack their backpacks and walk the boys to the bus stop. It brings back my old memories about school, friends, and waiting for the school bus. What seems to be happier days until the other memories come again. The bus stops we say goodbye to the boys as they move up the bus steps. Back inside, Rory looks up the realtor, dials their number. Rory relays. We can meet with the realtor at 11 this morning. There haven't been any offers yet. She elbows me. Maybe you could buy it so we can see you more often. I smile and shrug. Coming downstairs after a shower and fresh clothes, I scan the local paper. Things don't seem to have changed much taxes, growth, politics, etc. Flipping to the real estate section in the middle of the page our old house is featured. The pictures don't seem right. Different furniture, rugs as well as an addition to the back. My bedroom is one, in one picture on the second floor. All at once I see Joey Webb in my, at the window laughing and joking and having fun. The scene fades into another one where we're swimming in a local pond. Our gang is there in a hot summer day and the water is cool and sheer and clear. Sheer sheer cliffs surround the the pond. It's the old quarry pit. The vision flashes again. Joey is flying through the air. Crumpled real estate section floats down from my fist. Roy appears. What's up? I shake my head trying once again to clear the vision. Rory is driving us to our old house. We scan the neighborhood, comparing what we see now with our memories. There are changes, some are subtle and others significant, such as new houses, some houses have additions. The trees are bigger and hang over the street. The park at the end of our street is now three new houses with outdoor pools. The realtor is waiting in her car, talking on her cell phone. She climbs out of the car, saying goodbye to her caller. "'We introduce ourselves and let her know we have history with the house. "'She walks us up to the front door and unlocking it. "'She asks, "'Would you like to walk around by yourself, "'or shall I give you a guided tour?' "'We opt for going it alone. "'We walk into the living room and perform a quick scan. "'I'm sure there's something different,' Roy observes. "'The room is larger, I'm sure of it,' I agreed with her. "'Next was the kitchen. "'It was much larger the ad- with the addition.' i had seen referred to in the paper it was a modern revamp with a granite topped island which was not there in our days it was airy with new appliances and a new breakfast nook with a southern view lots of sun then a new doorway added leading into the dining room there was a new sunroom a small table and chairs a chaise set the backyard was now fenced with a new wood gym set I stopped to think back to my time here and visualize the games we played here. Was the treasure chest still where we buried it? Each member of our boys gang ran past my eyes. They were running around having fun. Joey was not there. Joey is falling from the sky. Yelling loudly, I run to catch him. He fades and the scene clears to today's reality. Roy puts a hand on my back, trying to calm me. She queries. It's Joey, right? You okay? I nod, then turn to go upstairs. Rory stays behind to explore the kitchen in depth. I climb the stairs and move down the hall to my room, just past Roy's room. Everything up here had not changed except for paint and carpets. There were large hockey posters on every wall in my old room. In time, it was... In my time, it was baseball and football posters all over the walls. I even had a signed Brett Favre jersey on the wall from Dad on my ninth birthday. I could remember sneaking out of the window to go smoke cigs with my buddies and drink a beer one of us would swipe from the cooler during a barbecue our parents had. I can recall a sleepover with Joey when he had Playboys. We had Playboys to enjoy. At ten, we were not knowledgeable about what it was like to be with a naked girl. We studied the playboys closely and traded brags of conquest with someone from school. A kiss, a quick touch, or just a big lie. All these memories flow back to me and building up to a teary sob. Downstairs, Roy is talking to the realtor. Roy asks me, Cheryl tells me the current owners are getting impatient to sell and would accept a lower bid. Are you interested? I gave her a melancholy smile at her her eager urging. I'm not sure what to do with anything this big. It's too long a commute. I'd have to consider changing jobs. I am glad that I came to see it. That night after dinner, Roy broached the subject, Joey, again. Have you tried to go to counseling? You know it wasn't your fault. Answering, I stare into open space. Everyone says so. There's been too many bad nights to believe that. Roy pushes the house again. The addition makes all the difference from when we lived there. You know I'm a bachelor, don't you? And don't need the space or the mortgage? <sighs> was the only retort she could muster up. You need to figure out your future. You're not getting any, any younger. She's right. It's hard to look forward while living in the past. The next day is a weekend. And we're going to a picnic in a park with the baseball fields and volleyball and barbecue pits and a swimming pond large enough for boating. We arrive at the park and claim a cookout spot. The boys are running all over the place investigating what there is to do and see if any friends were here. Keith takes over the fire preparation. Rory gets the boys rounded up to go swimming and grabs me by the arm, marching us all to the shoreline. Everyone gets in, splashing, throwing football, docking each other. The boys jump me, wrestling me down into the pond. I come to the surface and see someone floating face down. I stop playing and rush to the body. Getting closer, a girl wearing a diving mask stands up. My heart is beating fast and my hand is shaking. I stumble to the shore while trying to hide my emotions. But Roy sees it immediately. She continues playing with the boys as we walk back to the cook site. I calm down and sit looking at the pond. On Monday, I call the realtor, Cheryl, to ask her if she could show the house again. We agreed to a time and said goodbye. I go by myself, not letting Roy know what was up. Over the weekend, I remembered a detail that I had, not all, had all but forgotten. Cheryl arrives on time and once again offers assistance going through the house. I tell her I wanted to check a few details and I would be fine on my own. I quickly go upstairs and enter my room. Joey told me some 20 years ago he had a special tin boxes. He was always into science fiction and other weird stuff. He told me about a sci-fi story he was reading. It had special metal boxes, irradiated with a special ray. The boxes communicated through time and spirit worlds. He had built a ray scanner and irradiated a couple of tin boxes with his ray scanner. That was probably his mother's sun lamp, but it was a good story. I stop at the doorway and see Joey sitting on my bed some 20 years ago. The gang is all there. It was sweltering summer day. We were bored and restless. My younger self suddenly stands up getting a great idea to cool off. Let's go down to the quarry pool. The water is supposed to be cool and clear. Joey warns us our parents told us not to even think about going to the quarry. I counter that they're all at work now. We can get in, swim, and nobody would even know. Joey says, we don't have swimsuits. We can strip down to our underwear. The gang outvoted Joey and finally he gave in. Mounting our bikes, we race down to the quarry, find a hole in the chain-link fence where we could get in. We hide our bikes in the bushes to avoid detection. Once inside, we all strip down and jump into the pool, clear, dark water. Boy, was it cold. It was great fun, jumping from rocks, splashing each other, swimming all around. After diving deep and surfacing, Joey was not in the water, or on the shore anymore joey cried out and i saw he was on one of the high walls around the pool joey was leaning over the edge thinking about diving in we all started urging him on joey took some time to build up his courage he was finally ready and in position as close to the edge as possible we were still urging him to jump we watched as joey bent over to dive head first He was flying through the air, arms and legs waving wildly. He entered the pool and made a large belly flop splash. We waited for him to come back up. Minutes passed and still no sign of him. I start swimming over to where he entered the water. He surfaced slowly, not moving his arms, with his face down into the water. The police came. The ambulance came. Joey's parents came. So did all our parents. Joey was dead, and his body was loaded into the ambulance. It was my fault. I was to blame for killing Joey. Back inside my old bedroom, tears were streaking down my face. I proceeded to the closet. One of the irradiated tin boxes was placed in my special hiding place after Joey died. There was a cubby hole "'at the back of the closet top shelf. "'I grab a chair and climb up, removing the cover plate. "'It had been back into the insulation, a foot deep into the hole. "'My hand moved to where the box should be. "'Yes, the tin box was still there. "'I sit down on the bed, open the tin box. "'I had long ago left a note inside with one line written on it. "'Joey, I'm so sorry.' I look in and see the note is still there, folded. I unfold it. My lament is there on the top of the page. Once the note is fully open, I see more writing. It was not mine. It was Joey's writing. The writing was in red ink. Frank, you're not to blame. Please. We had a good time together. Let it go. Folding the note, I was, what was happening? I walk over to the desk, right on the page. Are you there? I put the note back into the tin box and close it. I reopen the box and pull out the paper. Some new writing was added in Joey's style. Yes, I am. Are you okay? Stay true, Joey. Stay true was our gang's motto. I'm shaking, crying, and unsure what to think. I put the paper in the box and close the lid and hide the box in my pocket. Leaving the house, Cheryl was in her car. I thank her for her time. She says, sure, any time. Are you interested in making a bid? Not positive what to say. I I answer ambiguously, maybe. Uh, I'll let you uh, know soon. I sit in my car holding the box. What is happening here? What does it mean to me? For the first time in twenty years, the constriction in my chest relaxed. The past is becoming bearable. This really couldn't be happening. I take a deep breath and let it out, lean back into the seat and review what I had seen, convincing myself it had not really happened and thinking I was delusional. The tin box now in my hand, I open it and review the paper. All that was there before is still there. And more. Joey added more. Frank, this must be hard to take. I can sense you and feel your thoughts. I know it has been hard for you. I'm okay in ways that you cannot understand. I can't tell you any more because I don't understand this either. I do know we all wanted to go that day. It was my idea to dive from so high, not yours. I regret all that you have gone through. As long as we can communicate, tell me about yourself and help me to get to know you again. The message ended there. This was so strange, and who would believe me? Back at Rory's, I show her the paper. She asks, is someone punking you? I don't think so. I really want to believe. I write a short note, fold the paper, and put it in the tin box. I reopened the tin box and opened the paper. The last line read, No. I had written, Are you alone? The end.